Lord Jesus. We pray that in, in this next hour of our service, Lord, that your kingdom come and your will be done. That you will come and just make yourself known to your people. Lord, that you will bring to us whatever we need, be that conviction, encouragement, uh, just to sit with us. Whatever that looks like, would you just come and have your way? Speak to the hearts of your people. Lord, may, may we experience what the author of Hebrews said, that the word of God becomes living and active in our midst, weighing the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Lord, we give you leave to do exactly that. Come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come now to the last message uh, for the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you were going, oh, finally. We've been working through this, uh, this Sermon of Jesus for about three months now, somewhere in that ballpark. And this is Jesus' largest collection of teachings, kind of in, at one time. Most of the rest of the teachings we have are kind of like, he said this over here and he said that over here. But this, the Sermon on the Mount, many people uh, view this as kind of Jesus' traveling sermon. This was kind of his go-to message, and sometimes he would take out one piece and put another piece in, but this was what he would kind of come back to when he would go and speak. They, they didn't have podcasts that they could listen to and going, hey, we heard this last week, we want some new material, like everywhere he went, this was new to the people. Because you guys remember the very simple message that Jesus was taking to the towns and villages all around. He would go and he would do some miracles, and then there's one sentence that would kind of sum up what he would teach there. Does anybody remember? It starts with repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus would go town to town, and he would do these miracles and tell people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And this Sermon on the Mount is all of those people finally getting in one place and going, tell us what that means. Tell us what this kingdom is about. And Jesus would spend the rest of his ministry going and telling and showing people, this is what the kingdom is. And so these teachings that we've been looking at would have come back up again and again. Sometimes I think, like, man, how did Matthew get all of this down? How did he like remember it word for word? I don't think he just heard it one time. I think it got to the point where most of the disciples could have got up and preached this for Jesus because this is what he said when he went around. This was his message. This is what the kingdom is. And so if you want to hear more about those, you've, you've missed some weeks or whatever, we put it all online uh, where you can go back and listen. I'm not gonna go back through everything that Jesus said. But last week... As Jesus was coming to a close, he, he's telling them, hey, here is what the kingdom is. And he could almost tell people were going, yeah, but how do we get there? What are there directions? How do we get there? And Jesus said, here's how you get to the kingdom. There's a narrow gate along the path. And beyond that narrow gate is a difficult road. He gave them that word picture. There's a Y in the road and there's a big wide gate with a nice, easy, level path. He said, that leads to destruction. Be careful. Then there's a narrow gate with a difficult road, that's the road that leads to the kingdom and leads to life. And he said, look, as you're going along the road, be careful because there's also wolves out there. And some of these wolves have put on wool. They look like sheep, but their hearts are to devour and to divide and to distract. So there's this narrow gate, there's this difficult road, and it's not only difficult, like hard to maneuver, it's also dangerous. There's wolves out there as well. 
And he could see that people were starting to go, what have we gotten ourselves into? And so here's Jesus' parting words to them in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. So let's begin to, to break this down a little bit as we do. Let's start at the top and just work our way down through. So verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. So the first word there is therefore, and class, what question do we ask when we see the word therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? Therefore is a context clue. Therefore is going because of what I just said, this next piece is pretty important. Whenever we read that word therefore, that should be like some, some bells should go off. Uh-oh, I better start back a paragraph or two. I better get some context for what's about to be said because Jesus is, is tying the two together. Because of this, therefore, pay attention. And so what's the therefore? Again, we just talked about this. Because the gate is narrow and the road is difficult, because there are wolves along the way, you better make sure you're on a solid foundation. You better make sure that you're the one standing on the rock, not on the shifting sand. Because it's a difficult road ahead. There are people trying to pull you off the rock, trying to lure you onto the sand, these wolves in sheep's clothing. Therefore, make sure that you are on the solid rock, the firm foundation that's been established for you. What is that firm foundation? Going back to what we looked at last week, there was a time when Jesus was telling his disciples, like, you, you got to keep coming. He goes, look, I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and, and I want you to just keep going. You know the way to get there. And they were like, know the way? What are you talking? We, no, we don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way there? Poor Thomas. And Jesus answers this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That firm foundation is Jesus Christ himself, to follow him, to remain in him. And we're going to look at this here in a little bit. Paul would later in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 say this, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is only one solid rock. There is only one firm foundation and it's Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider whom, who, him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the only firm 
foundation, the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. This kind of reminds me of one of the very last things that Jesus would say in what we call the Great Commission. It's the last verses in, in the book of Matthew and some of the last things Jesus would teach before he ascended up into heaven. Then Jesus came to them, his disciples, his followers, and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them what I commanded. Those who hear my word are building their house on the solid rock. That's what it says, right? Mm -mm. I took out two words, two incredibly important words. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 7, 24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Acts on them is like one who built his house, a sensible man who built his house on the solid rock. When the rain fell and the rivers rose and, and the winds blew and pounded at the house, it didn't collapse because the foundation was on the rock. But listen, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, the rains came, the rivers rise, the winds blow, and the house collapses. Listen, and its collapse was great. That means total ruin, utter destruction. This wasn't like, and it got a little water damage. This was, there's no more house anymore. It was swept away. What's the difference between these two? Action. Both heard. Jesus was talking to a crowd like I am now. If you guys left here and said, I didn't hear a word he said, I'd be worried on many levels, but most people would go, no, you did. You were there. He had this crowd, and he wasn't going, look, boy, I hope everyone can hear me. He's going, if you're here, you're hearing my words. But that's not the, the pivotal piece. The question is, what do you do with what you hear? Whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them. So let me ask this question, and this is where... Typically, at the beginning of each week, I would recap and go, here's some things that Jesus taught. I want you to help me with this. What are these, quote, words of mine that Jesus was referring to? Because he wasn't just some blanket statement where he was going, hey, anything I ever will say, it was very specific. He was talking to a crowd, and to end his message, he goes, so if you listen to these words of mine, what, is, what are some of those? What, what has he been teaching? You can cheat and open your Bible or use your phone. Matthew 5 through 7 is where we're at. What were some of these words of his that he had taught? Doesn't have to go in perfect order. It's okay. We can jump around. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There was the, the Beatitudes. There was, I think, nine of those that came along. What else? What has Jesus been teaching these people? 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What else? He spent almost an entire chapter going, don't practice your righteousness so that other people see and applaud you. But instead, does anyone remember what he said instead of that? Trust your father who sees what is done in secret. Your righteousness is done for him, not for the applause of other people. Okay, what else? You may have heard it said, but I tell you. It's a little hint, a little reminder to anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Clever little. Cheryl said he turns everything upside down. Well, actually, maybe right side up. Yeah. Well, it's about your heart. Jesus was going, look, it's not just about do the right things, but it's about your heart. Listen, as you do the right things. At no point in time was Jesus going, your, your heart and your actions are separate I, I care about your heart. Who cares if you actually follow through? His thing was always going, as you're doing the right thing, whether it was he's talking to the Pharisees and he goes, look, as you um, give, as you tithe, as you fast, as you pray. He wasn't saying giving, fasting, and praying were bad things. He was going, as you do those good things, what's going on in your heart? It's not just about the things you do, but again, this kingdom is about your heart. Jesus would keep coming back to this message. Yeah. To, to bring it back into your heart again. Look, it's not about don't murder your brother. Listen, is murdering your brother wrong? Uh-huh. But he said, that's, that's too easy. It's about not hating your brother in your heart. It's not, it's, he says, look, it's wrong to commit adultery. To commit a sexual act with someone that is not your spouse, he says, is wrong. But again, that's too easy. Are you lusting after someone that is not your own in your heart? This kingdom is about something way more than just do's and don'ts. It's about the heart. This would have been new for many of them. They would have been going like, wow, this is so deep. It says later they're astonished by the authority that he speaks with. This was all brand new to them, but he just keeps driving it back to this is about your heart. Does the Lord have your heart? What's happening in your heart while you do X, Y, and Z? Have you surrendered your heart to the Lord? And I don't just mean for salvation. Trusting the Lord with your eternity. Listen, yes, that, but also with today. Have I surrendered my heart to the Lord? My interactions with my spouse, my, my children, my neighbors, my fellow church members, have I surrendered my heart to the Lord in these things? This is what it is to hear Jesus' words and to act on them. There would have been many who heard his whole sermon, listen, and they would have been part of the group going, whoa, I'm astonished at the authority. How awesome was that? Well, going back to life is normal. Most of the crowd heard his words, and even, maybe even applauded, but left unchanged. It is possible to hear, listen, and even not along, and maybe even not in our church, but in another church, maybe even to amen. Some of you got it. But to walk away unchanged. 
to hear and not to act. This kingdom that Jesus is is ushering in here in Matthew, that he's telling people about, that he's trying to steer them towards, he goes, this is a kingdom about hearing and acting, about listening and doing. I've said for a long time, if I had to boil following Jesus down, as far as I could distill it down, it would be hearing God's voice and responding in obedience. To seek him in his word, to seek him in prayer, to seek him collectively. We want to hear what the king has to say. And whatever the king says, honestly, before I even hear it, I want my heart posture to be, yes, Lord. Now, what do you want? To hear and obey. To hear and to act. James, the brother of Jesus, says this over in James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We read that and we go, what's James talking about? That's stupid. No one looks at themselves in a mirror, walks away and just completely, like, it doesn't even make sense, James. And I think he would go, you're getting it. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It is hearing and doing. It's a preposterous idea to hear the words of Jesus, God in flesh, and to agree and to go, "Mm, yeah, amen, let's sing a song about it, and then leave unchanged Without a heart that goes, Lord, maybe I won't do it perfectly. None of us will, but I want to obey. I want for your word to impact my life. I want to look like what you're describing. If this is not what's going on in our heart, then we've missed it. We're building on the sand, and it will not serve you. It will come crashing down. But James says something interesting here that I want to talk about a little bit. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. How do we deceive ourselves by listening and not doing? By by hearing, but not acting. How are we deceiving ourselves? It doesn't even have to be right. It just has to be an answer. What do you think? Okay, that simply knowing the right answer as if we're going to have a multiple choice test one day is, is good enough, okay? How do we deceive ourselves? <laughs> we'll just do it later. Yeah, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying not right now, Lord. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not angry toward my brother. I'm just really frustrated with him. That kind of sounds like anger. Yeah. We just start using some other words to try to dodge obedience instead of coming to that point of going, Lord, there is anger or hatred in my heart toward my brother or sister. 
I need your help. We play games and we deceive ourselves. Jesus had, had just at the end of chapter six, I believe it was, described the scenario where he says, look, there's gonna be those who come one day and they go, Lord, Lord, look at all we did for you. And he's gonna say what to them? Away from me, I never knew you. Talk about some people who are deceived, who have deceived themselves. We, when we hear but don't do, we create our own form of Christianity that doesn't really exist. We tend to even, and this is weird what we do to ourselves, we manipulate ourselves, we create a God who looks like us and agrees with us and is okay with our lack of obedience, that God doesn't exist. The God that we serve tells us very clearly, here's what it looks like to follow me. Here's what it's gonna cost you. Remember Jesus said, count the cost and all of this stuff. If you're not willing to obey, then you can't follow me. Coming to church and hearing a message and singing a song, listen, you're not gonna get up there and he's gonna go, let me check your attendance card. You get a free sub, come on into to heaven, no problem. It doesn't exist. Go ahead. Okay. Part of that deception like, is leaning into, look at what I've done. Like, so, so maybe, like, listen, because sometimes we can do and not hear. Look at all the good things that I did, Lord. And he's going, I just asked you to trust me. I asked for your faith. You went out in your own strength and tried to do all of these things. And there's deception there. Lord, didn't I earn my way in? And he's going, listen, the first part of hearing me is going, it's impossible for you to earn your own way. This is not about earning. There's a, a very famous uh, quote by a man named Dallas Willard, and it says this, grace is not against effort, but grace is against earning. To come to the Lord and go, look at all that I've done, he's gonna say, not enough. But when instead we go, Lord, I received what you gave me, and ever since I have been trying to do what you've called me to do, that, that's effort, and he goes, man, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. And listen, this can be hard. This is, this is splitting some hairs for some of us. It comes from faith in him. The things that he called these people to do and is calling us to do, listen, our first response should be, that's impossible. Who can go through the rest of your lives, even if you got a, a clean slate right now today and never hate anybody else again? Never have any bit of unforgiveness in your heart. Does anyone feel pretty confident that you can make it the rest of your life? I certainly don't. My first response is, Lord, then who can get in? This is impossible. And he goes, exactly. That's why I've done it for you. Come on in because of what I've done. And now live out of that. Is this making sense? Again, I understand there's, there's nuance to it. Go ahead, Brian.
Yeah. So I'll try to say again what Brian had said in case you couldn't hear him. The next story after Jesus finishes the sermon is he uh, runs into a man with leprosy and he heals the man. And he tells the man, your faith has healed you. Now go and give the offerings that are, that are necessary uh, at the temple. There was a, man, your faith got you in. Now here's what I want you to go do. What if the man would have been like, great, I'm healed. Well, I'm going home. Forget what he told me to do. That man doesn't really understand what he has received. And I don't think that that man would be considered a follower of Jesus from that point on. In a way, we do understand this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? We have GPS. It tells us to go one way. Sometimes we're like, I don't think that's right. And so we go our own way. Like, and we're not following GPS. Like, it's not like this, like, it's not only an ethereal thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that Jesus started with the Beatitudes in teaching all of this because what you find in the Beatitudes is this humility, this, this placing yourself under, this servant's heart because the first rule of the kingdom is this, there is a king and it is not you. There is a king and it is not me, which means my role in the kingdom is one of submission. To be a part of the kingdom is to submit myself to the king, which means what you say goes. What is impossible is to walk into a kingdom, have a king give you a command and go, eh, I'll see. I don't know about that. You know what they call that? Treason. And do you know what the penalty for treason is in every country in the world? Death. It is not an option to walk into the kingdom and say, yeah, you're king, but we'll see. That option is not open to us. That is a deception that, listen, we place on ourselves. It's not given to us in the world, in the word. We deceive ourselves when we hear, but we don't act. So let me read again the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mind and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house but it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed and its collapse was great. Action is what separates these two. There's a difference between faith and knowledge. Knowledge, listen, can be abstract. I can read about things that will never impact my life in any way, shape, or form. I I joke with Kim all the time and I say, I'm a plethora of useless information. You want to know trivial things, whether about sports or that movie we watched last night or whatever, I got stuff and I know it. Will it ever impact my life? Not one bit. Knowledge has the ability to just be stored, pulled out when when it serves me, when it makes me look good at a party or something like that. 
but never actually have any impact. Faith is completely unlike that. Faith always has practical implications. Faith always has an action tied to it. I, I often use this illustration. I'm going to use it again. What is this here in front of me? This is the easiest question you'll get all day, church. Someone should have said Jesus, because I set you guys up with that one all the time. You say Jesus in the church, I can't tell you you're wrong. This is a stool. I believe that this stool is made of good, solid wood. This stool was made for what purpose? To sit on. I believe this is a good, solid stool. I believe that if I sit on this stool, it's going to take my weight. It's not like a paper mache stool set up to trick me or anything. It's a, it's a real stool. Listen. Solid wood. Have I ever sat on the stool? Oh, no. I don't, what if it broke? Can I really trust this stool? Do I have faith in this stool? I don't. I can know all kinds of stuff about it. I can believe the right things. But to have faith in the stool is to put my butt on the stool, is to trust the stool to take my weight. Now I have faith in this stool because I've placed my weight upon it. Everything until then is knowledge and right answers. Is anyone in here afraid to fly? Okay, I'm going to point you guys out a little bit, but pretend I'm talking about somebody else. So you can talk with a lot of people. There are millions of people in this world that are terrified of flying, that, that in fact will not fly. <laughs> Apparently I should be clearer. Okay, to fly in an airplane, yes. Boy, do I appreciate that. There are many people that you can talk to them and you can say, can an airplane fly? Yes. Can it fly safely? Yes. Listen, don't think too hard about how it does it because it feels like it's just levitating off the ground. And you look at a plane. You ever watched a plane take off? Something in your brain should be going, that shouldn't happen. That isn't right. But someone will come along and they'll go, no, 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 it's okay. Because at speed, the way the air comes in, it creates lift. And, and listen, I can understand the math and the science behind it. Again, it's weird. Do you guys know how much a, a 747 weighs? Not even the biggest plane we have anymore, but somebody take a guess. How many tons does a 747 weigh? 747 tons? That's not where its name came from. What was it? Five tons. What else? 25 tons? 13? You guys, you're not even close. 202 tons. That's 404,000 pounds that a 747 weighs when full of people. 202 tons. If this helps you get your head around the weight, that might be like 200 buffalo. Because, you know, we're weighing, I carry a buffalo in my pocket all the time. I, yeah. I can know the science that tells me this 200-ton airplane is going to make it off the ground. I can agree with it. I can know and pair it back to you. It is safer to fly in an airplane coast to coast than it is to drive in a car coast to coast. I have less chance of injury and death flying from New York to L.A. than I do driving New York to L.A. And there are people who will go, yeah, I've heard that statistic. Yeah, I even believe that statistic. Great. Did you buy your ticket? Oh, no. <laughs> I will never fly. I'm too scared. I don't 
trust it. Faith always has an action. We have faith in something, listen, when we actively put our weight on it, the weight of our lives. That is what it means to have faith. We have to understand the difference between knowledge and faith. Jesus is calling people to have faith in what he has said and done. Not just know about it. Listen, you can quote the verses. You know who else can quote the verses? Satan. And he will use them against you. And I'm not trying to get into all of that. But knowing is not enough. Doing. Actively placing your faith is what makes the difference. James says this in James chapter 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? This is not like works to earn salvation. This is works that come from faith. Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, which is an impossibility is what he's trying to say, and I will show you faith from my works. Faith without works is dead because faith without works is not faith. It doesn't really exist. What Jesus is trying to communicate is about hearing his words and acting on them. Knowing what the Lord is calling you to do and then actually doing it. Listening and obeying. There is always action involved. So what I want to do before we take a step and go any further is I want to do something very practical. I'm going to set a one-minute alarm on my iPad here, and we're going to sit in silence for one minute, and here is all we're going to ask the Lord. Is there something you want me to do? And we're just going to sit, and we're going to wait. And listen, if he brings something to mind, then I'm going to ask you just in the quietness of your own seat to commit to the Lord, I will do that. Listen, if you've got to get up and do something in this room, I'll wait. No problem. If it has to happen after the service, whatever. Lord, is there something you are calling me to do? But with a posture that says before you even say it, if you bring it up, my answer is yes. This is what faith looks like. And listen, he may bring up something he told you to do six months ago, and you've been trying to ignore, going, no, 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 give me the next thing. Forget that one. Sometimes we don't hear what the Lord is calling us to do now because we haven't done the last thing he called us to do. And so if he brings up that thing he told you about six months ago or six years ago, will you commit to do it? Does this make sense? It's pretty simple in terms of what we're going to do for the next minute. It can be difficult in terms of actually carrying it out. But does this make sense what we're about to do? Okay, so I'll set a timer so you don't have to look at your watch or wonder how long it's been. We'll hear it. And we're just going to ask the Lord, is there something that you want me to do?
That's for you. I'm not going to ask you to share with everybody or whatever. That's for you. If the Lord brought something to your mind, I would encourage you, don't just be hearers of the word of the Lord, but be doers. The kind of people that respond when we hear from him, because quite frankly, we're so delighted to have heard from him in the first place. So back to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7. I'm going to read it again. You might be tired of hearing it, but that's a good thing. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, Rain fell, rivers rose, wind blew, pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. So we looked at what these two builders did differently. One acted on the word of the Lord, solid rock. One did not act, building on sand. But what do these two builders actually have in common? What similarities do you see there in the story? They both built... They, they both did work. Similarities, things that they, they had in common. The storm happened. Both heard the word of God. Listen, both spent their lives working on something. And the storm came to both of them. I, I want to clear up some, some stinking thinking. I use that phrase a lot. I stole it from a pastor up in Stonewood, uh, a friend of mine. And, but I want to explain it really quick. Stinking thinking is this kind of devious thinking that can work its way into a group of people, into a church, that we just kind of all accept without really thinking a whole lot about. Like if I came up here and I said two plus two is five, you guys would say, what, you're crazy, you don't know math. If I stood up here and I said Jesus was a liar and he was just out to get people's money, hopefully you would get up and leave. Okay, that is the correct response if someone ever says that to you. You would go, no, that's just, that's bad theology. What are you talking about? But if someone stood up in your small group and said, hey, be careful asking the Lord for patience because he's going to send some difficult people your way, We'd probably just laugh and go, yeah, we've been there. If somebody said, hey, 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 be careful asking the Lord for more faith, because he's probably going to bring some hardships along to build up your faith, right? We've all heard people say this. Did any of you get up and leave? Most of the time, we don't even speak up. We just kind of go, mm, yeah. Sometimes you see people go through something difficult, and they'll say this phrase, God brought this into my life for a reason, this death, this unforeseen catastrophe, these marital problems. I hear it all the time when people come in and they go, hey, God brought this into my life for a reason. And, and these people, what they're trying to do is put a positive spin on things to say, hey, like God brought this along, but he, he's also going to give me what I need in the middle of it, right? Here's the, the devious part of it, the stinking thinking part of it. Sometimes we read this story the storm comes to everybody, and we go, so God is the storm. God is the bad things that happen. God is bringing those things along to see if I'm on the solid rock or if I'm on the sand. 
That is stinking thinking. That is devious. What it does is it tells you God is not truly a good father. Two weeks ago, we read this passage. Jesus says, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? But what we think is this, if I ask for patience, a good thing, right? Let's call it, I don't know, bread. God's going to give me difficult people that I hate working with. Let's call that a stone. I need more faith, Lord. Would you, would you build my faith? Let's call that a fish. God's going to bring hardship and struggle on me. Let's call that a snake. What we're actually saying is that God is not a good father who can be trusted, who wants to give good things to me. God is some kind of distant judge up there who's always going, let's test them. Let's see if they really mean it. And we paint God out to be the storm. In the story, God is the rock. God is the thing that we have run to and found safety in. He is not the thing we need protection from. Sometimes we create this thing where we're going, I want to stand on the solid rock of Jesus to protect me from God. God is not the storm in your life. Listen, everyone goes through the storm. If that was the case, if God was the storm in your life because he was trying to, to test you, and listen, there's this refining and discipline. We can have those discussions, but we tend to mean it like God brought bad things in my life. If that's God doing it to test you and to build your faith and whatever else, then how come the people on the sand experienced it too? Do you know why we experience storms? Because we live in a fallen, sinful world. The storms of life, the suffering that we come up against, listen, is of our own creation. When God created everything, it was perfect. There was no storms, there was no death, there was no sickness, there was no loss, none of it. We, through acts of rebellion and sin, ushered death and destruction and the storms of life in with it. They were never a part of his plan. They are a part of living in a fallen world. Every one of us experiences the storms. And it is not God bringing it into your life because, you know, I guess you'll be better for it in the end. Listen, he is so good, he will even use it to make you better. There is no evil in God. He cannot author evil. He did not bring evil into your life. God is not the author of death. He is not bringing it into your life, but he is so good that he will even use it in your life. Because Listen, what it leads to, if you're not careful, this stinking thinking, what it leads to is I need to be careful how close I get to God because apparently he likes to test those that get close to him and so life's going to get harder. As in he's going to make my life harder the closer I get to him. If that's where we're going, eventually we're going to go, eh, this is pretty good. I, I don't want to be like out, but I don't want to be fully in either. And it leads us to do this dance of how close to him do I really want to be? He is the good father, desiring to give his children good gifts, desiring to use the storms of life to build us up, to make us stronger, but not creating the storms 
of our life. He's the only sure footing to stand on when the storms come. The storms come for all of us. The question is, how firm is our foundation when the storm hits? What have we placed our faith, our hope, our trust in for those dark days? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He is always at work, even in the midst of the storm. But he is not bringing bad things, evil, loss into your life. Psalm 46 begins this way. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Like This sounds very similar to what Jesus was talking about. And he doesn't say, so be careful, because God's in the storm. What he said instead is God is our refuge and our strength ever-present help in the midst of the storm. So whatever the storm of life throws at me, I have a helper. I have strength and refuge to be found. And listen, does that mean the storm doesn't bother me at all? Does that mean the storm doesn't hurt? Of course not. But it means that I can have hope in the midst of the storm, that I can find strength in the storm, because the one who's greater than the storm, listen, is with me, is on my side, is holding me up, He is in no way coming against me in the storm. I'm going to read this Matthew 7 passage again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the river rose, the winds blew and pounded on the house. Listen, yet it didn't collapse. It had hope, it had strength, because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded the house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. It was total, it was utter destruction. As we come now, we're going to close this time by focusing on a time of communion. Mick, can you go get the, the children's church kids? Tell them to come back in. Listen, the storms of life are coming for all of us. There's no escape in it. In this life, you will have trouble. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said that. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. He also said that. The storms of life are coming for us. And listen, this is, this is a difficult truth, and it's what we deserve. We brought the storms of life. Each of us has rebelled, has sinned, has gone our own way. Each of us has told God, I'm sitting on the throne today. And because of that, listen, we deserve storms. We deserve destruction and death. We have have earned the right to face those storms alone. That's what we have earned. But God is so incredibly gracious. His love is so great that he refused to leave us out in the winds and the rain alone. He decided to make a way so that we could come back in, out of the storm, so that we could come back onto solid ground that we don't deserve, but he desires for us. 
through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, we have been bought back. We have been reconciled, brought back into relationship, made whole with God, our ever-present help in times of trouble, so that when those storms come, we don't have to face them alone. So that while, while the rest of the world is on this shifting sand, we can stand firm on the rock, listen, and not look down on them and begin to reach out ourselves and pull them up. He is our firm foundation. Jesus' death that I deserved, but he took so that I could come back in out of the storm into a place of safety and refuge. Nothing can ever separate me from him again. No storm, no earthquake. I mean, think about the, the Psalm 46. The, the quakes are so bad, the mountains are falling into the seas. Like, think about how chaotic this is. And he says, but I have no reason to fear because he is my strength and refuge, my ever-present, ever-present with me help in time of need. This is what this morning we celebrate in communion. The storms of life are still coming. One day he will put an end to all of them. That's called heaven. That day is not yet today. Hopefully it's tomorrow. But for now, the storms are still coming. But I don't have to face them alone, and neither do you. That is what we celebrate this morning in communion. And so as always, before we take communion, we want to take a moment and just stillness before the Lord. Ask him, Lord, is there any sin that is separating me from you this morning? Is there anything that, again, action, you're calling me to repent of, to turn away from, so that I can come back to you and just celebrate what you have done? And so I'm going to give another minute for you to just sit in the stillness of your own seat and just ask the Lord, is there anything between us? And if so, right now where you are, do business with the Lord so that we can come together and enjoy communion.